I want to look at a particular word, um, but before we do that, I'd like you to actually talk to each other. It's very scary, uh, but it's nice to your friends and family to be together and have a chat. I've got ten current words and expressions, and I want you to, in little groups of three or four, to, to work out what they mean. And you're going to shout out the answers a bit later on. Uh, and there's going to be a prize as well, some... Uh, Belgian chocolate truffles, artisan Belgian chocolates here for the winning little team. So if you could show the ten words or expressions, Paul, we'll see how good you are at being up to speed with current words and expressions. The first one is jam, J-A-M. The second one is genovacation. Then breakfastarian, showrooming, mansplaining, super suburbs, shrinkflation, IOT, pre-buttle, and ghost driver. So if you turn to one another, threes and fours, and see if anyone can get all ten of those expressions. Good, let's go through them. I trust you to be honest. And uh, if any group claims to know all ten, then uh, you can claim the prize. Okay, Jam. Any volunteers for Jam. Yes, just about managing. They reckon households on twenty to thirty thousand pounds a year. I think you need more than that to just about manage in London, but that's the kind of countrywide uh, thought. Jenna vacation. Anyone over here? Jenna vacation. Multiple generations in the same family. You're on the right lines. Going on holiday. It's a holiday taken by parents and grown-up children with the former pain. Sam and Melissa don't know anything about that. So, <laughs> Breakfastarian. Breakfastarian? Someone who misses out breakfast. Any alternatives? Eating breakfast. Here we are. Even the Swedes know these kind of things. Someone who lives on a diet of cereal and toast. Usually someone in their 20s. So, how are you, how are you doing? How are you doing? Showrooming. Luke, showrooming. Um, making people feel really guilty if they like, drop a tiny little prawn in your house, so your house has to be... Where's your wife? <laughs> She's not here, which is why I'm staying. Men take on new courage when their wives are not in the room. He thinks that's showrooming. So your house has got to look like a showroom, and if there's a tiny crumb or something out of place, you'll get in trouble. No, wrong. Anyone else? John. Sleeping overnight in Ikea. That was a big thing, wasn't it, at Christmas? Uh, and someone sent a letter in saying, you know about this um, sleeping overnight in Ikea and uh, running around making... Someone said they, they're not surprised. It takes so long to get out of that place. They're not surprised some people get locked in all night. Showroom. No, none of you have got it. It's to browse something in store and then buy it online. Have you done that? And what's the opposite? The opposite is web rooming, where you look on the web and then you go and buy it in store. Mansplaining. Anyone know what mansplain means? <laughs> I can't possibly. I have to have Rosie. Rosie. When a man explains something that you perfectly well know yourself. An explanation... Any explanation from a man deemed to be condescending. 
So it gets quite controversial, and uh, some feminists are getting accused of saying anything a man says is like that. So, Super suburbs. Anyone super suburbs? Chris. Super suburbs is working in London and living in Swindon. That's not the right answer. I wouldn't recommend it either. But, uh, no offence if you're from Swindon, but... Uh, Super suburbs. I really just going to answer all the questions, isn't it? Anyone else? I thought you'd get more. I think Rosie's going to get the chocolate. Super suburb, Rosie. No, it's an ordinary area where the house prices have skyrocketed. They get called super suburbs. Just ordinary areas, the prices are stupid. Shrinkflation. Yes. Yep, they cut the product sizes to avoid price increases, like, like Toblerone, where you could put your fists through the uh, peaks of Toblerone these days. IOT. Oh, you, were, you shouted out someone had their hand up first, Millie. What would you have said, Millie? Internet of Things. Yeah, that's right. So one day, your dishwasher will buy its own tablets without asking you first. When all the things are connected on the internet. Two more, a pre-buttle. What's a pre-buttle? Luke's going to have another go. Why not? Um, is, it, is it getting your defence in first? So thinking someone's going to attack you, so you're defending yourself. Yeah, issuing a denial before the allegation has yet been made. Very good. He didn't go to Cambridge for nothing, did he? And finally, Ghost Driver. <laughs> Southern Rail, yeah. <laughs> Round of applause for Paul. Satnav, Jenny, Chris? Satnav? Yes, Ruth. A driverless car, no? A car that's being driven remotely, no. Someone driving in the dark without their lights on? Someone driving. Luke, it's confession time, isn't it, today? <laughs> Actually, this one is in honour of Jamie at the back there, <laughs> driving the wrong way down the motorway. Everyone's confessing their sins today. It's, it really fit in with my talk. A ghost driver is an Uber driver who uses a frightening profile photo to prompt the customer to abort the ride and incur a cancellation fee. So watch out, Jamie. If you've ever used Uber, it's terrible what goes on these days. So who got the most? Which group? I thought you'd be all like seven, eight, nines, but, oh dear, so far behind the times. Rosie, I think you just about won it, didn't you? Would you like, you can take them to house group lunch, round of applause for, for Rosie, she's just about managing. Now before we move on and kind of I say what I need to, to say, there's one other word I'd like you to talk about and come up with a, a definition of, and if you could show the slide please Paul. And that's the churchy word, baptism. So why don't you turn to each other where you are and see if you can work out what baptism means or signifies, just for one and a half minutes. Good. Can I have some definitions or thoughts on baptism? Let's start over here. Anyone want to say anything on baptism? 
Yes. An outward sign of an inward change. Very good. Any other offers on what baptism is or means? It involves water. Very good. There was a clue in the picture, wasn't there? That's great. So an outward sign of an inward change. It involves water. Yeah, wow, you're taking it, taking it beyond there. I was talking about water baptism, but thank you. <laughs> Any other offers on baptism? Yes. Yep, the word means to be submersed. An outward sign of an inward grace. So your wife said an outward sign of an inward change. Outside of inward grace, that's wonderful. Yes, over the back. So it takes a Bulgarian to know a Greek. So the word means to be completely covered in something. Fantastic, we've got some ideas there. And that's the subject we want to, to look at uh, very briefly this morning. And the next slide is about baptism and the life of Jesus. And on Sunday morning... At uh, this church, we're looking at the life of Jesus. That's not that surprising for a church, is it? But Jesus is absolutely wonderful. And there's no one better to study than him to gain inspiration for life. Someone wrote uh, a little piece about Jesus. I'll just read out uh, part of it here now. It's called One Solitary Life. Some of you have probably heard it before. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He lived in relative poverty. He received no formal education and never possessed wealth or held an influential position. He never owned a house. He never had a family. He never traveled more than 200 miles from where he was born. He did nothing that usually accomplishes greatness. While still relatively young, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One betrayed him. One denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and convicted at an unfair trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled for the only thing he owned on earth, his cloak. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed tomb. He never wrote a book, yet his life has inspired more books than any other person. He never wrote a song, yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than anyone else. He never founded a college, but all the schools put together cannot boast of having so many students. He never marshaled an army, yet no leader ever had more rebels surrender without a shot fired. He never practiced medicine or psychiatry, yet no one has healed more broken bodies, minds or hearts. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that sailed the seas, all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of those on this earth as much as this one solitary life. And it's wonderful to know Jesus, wonderful to look to Jesus. He was fearless, he was full of grace and truth, he was deeply compassionate, he was humble and he brought good news to us. And we're looking at his life. Uh, um, he was born in poverty, as you probably thought about at Christmas. 
He became a refugee as a baby when his family had to flee to Egypt. And as we look through his life here on Sunday mornings, we get to his baptism, and it was a milestone in his life. And I want to read a short passage from the Bible and then reflect on it and a few thoughts, and then we'll close. If you could put the slide up, please. It's from Mark chapter 1, so let's read it. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He's a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show they'd repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven with coarse camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. And I want to pick up a few thoughts from there. The first is that it's good news. The word gospel is not just the word that goes before choir, but it's a word that simply means good news. And that's very welcome. And as people look back with some of the shocks of 2016 and some of the fears for 2017, we need some good news. And good news is to be found in God's words. And the good news is about Jesus. We just read that little summary of his life. And if we look at Jesus, if we listen to him, if we think about what he did, what he said, how he treated people, and if we get to know Jesus, that's going to be an absolutely wonderful thing. That's what the good news is all about. It didn't mean that everyone heard the kind of news they wanted to hear. Jesus didn't go around telling everyone what they wanted to hear. There were challenges. There were challenges for the rich and powerful. There were challenges for political leaders. There were huge challenges for religious leaders that were full of their own self-righteousness. There were challenges for dishonest businessmen and for people that were proud and self-sufficient. So Jesus is good news for us, but he challenges people, and we need to hear those challenges. He's not a weak figure that just says what everyone wants to hear and God sent a messenger to prepare the way for Jesus and he was called John and he was nicknamed John the Baptist and he encouraged people to get baptized and I believe if you want to walk the path of faith then there are some key milestones and one of the first milestones is baptism and I've been thinking this week about my baptism many years ago on the 23rd of November 1980, just thinking back then, that was a milestone for me as I went from being part of a family that knew nothing about God, never went to church, uh, coming to know Jesus and then getting baptised myself. There's a few things that talk about the, the meaning of baptism. It says it's a sign that people have repented. Again, we're looking about words and what they mean. That's a very kind of religious word. Uh, you might not hear it too much in the media. What does it mean? It means if I've repented, I've had a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of world view, a change of direction. 
And I've decided I want to turn away from things that I've come to realize would offend God. And I want to live my life in ways that please God. And in Bible times, a lot of people felt they were okay. They felt fine. They didn't need Jesus. They were perfectly self-sufficient and self-satisfied. But in the story, lots of people did go out. And even to this weird guy in the wilderness, they came out because they felt something wasn't right in their lives. They wanted, they needed to change. And they wanted to follow God. And I can remember coming to that point of from not knowing anything about God, never going to church, just feeling there must be a God somewhere, becoming aware of that and aware of my need for God. And I think when you do become aware of your need for God, one of the reactions is that, that you know, I'm failing, I haven't got my act together, I haven't got it right. But sometimes that can drive you away from God, thinking, I haven't got my act together, I've messed up, I don't deserve to come to know God. But repentance is saying, yes, I have messed up. Yes, I do want to change. But God accepts you as you are. It's the starting point for moving towards God. So if you feel challenged and you feel unworthy, it doesn't disqualify you. It's the starting point of your journey. And then they turned to God. They turned to God. And I did that. I came to a point in my life of thinking there must be more to life. Then you live, you die, end of. And I just turned to God. I didn't do anything dramatic, just in my heart and mind. I said, God, if you're there, I want to know you. I want to give my life to you. And that just simple turning, silently, quietly, in your own heart and mind, is a key part of the journey. And it's, it's one of the aspects that forms part of being ready for baptism. And then they received forgiveness, and that's absolutely wonderful. A lot of people think nothing's anyone's fault anymore. Have you ever rung up a company and tried to get someone to say sorry or admit their faults? doesn't happen very much. People try and hide from mistakes. They always blame it on computers these days. But I think sometimes when we do come to God, we realize that, yeah, I haven't got it right I do need to be forgiven. I'm sorry for things that I've said and done and thought. They're not good. I'd love to be forgiven. And when we do those things that are wrong, when we live out of relationship with God, it's like that. there's a break in that relationship and our faults, our sins, our issues, our mess forms a barrier between us and God. But the good news is that God is fully willing to forgive us. And as a pastor, I go around meeting people, and uh, I think one of the things that stuck out with me fairly recently is going to see a family, and there's a young child, and there's the parents, and uh, both the parents seem to quite like me, but twice I've been round in recent times, they've not been talking to each other. Uh, fortunately, they both start talking to me, and then they've ended up talking to each other, but you just think that horrible feeling when a relationship is going wrong and people are not talking. Uh, how good it feels when that relationship gets restored and people are communicating again. And it's a bit like that with us and God. It's not great when you wake up to realize you're not in a relationship with God, but you can be forgiven and come to know him. That's a fantastic feeling when you do that. And then they confess their sins 
and it's good to get it off your chest. So I was thinking of a friend of mine uh, called John, and he was on a spiritual journey. He didn't know much about God, and then he gradually found out more about God, and uh, then he looked at issues in his life and felt there were things that uh, he needed to get sorted out. So he went to a group, went to a, a church, uh, and there was a group called Agnostics Anonymous. So he went to that and uh, did their course. And I remember speaking to him, and he said, the last thing for me, I've worked through lots of issues in my journey towards God, but the last thing for me is my personal pride, admitting I need God, admitting I need to confess my sins and come to him. That's the last barrier. And then about four days later, he got through that barrier, and he gave his life to God. And it was a wonderful thing. It feels great when you've confessed your sins and turned to God. I need a volunteer who's on the younger side. Could you volunteer, one of you? Yep, Jess, wonderful. Big round of applause. And I brought this today. Would you like to, to wear it, please? Is it slightly heavy? Not as heavy as a school bed. Nigel's trying to give away some of his books. So he, he brought about three tons of books to our office this week. And I've put as many of them as I could in here. And to me, it feels quite heavy. Now, would you like to wear that all the time for the next week and then come back next week and give it back to me? Not really. Would you like to take it off and drop it on the floor? Does that feel a bit better? Okay, round of applause, my wonderful assistants. You can try it afterwards if you like, it is quite heavy. But it's a bit like that, we carry burdens and weights on us. And if we just come to God and say, I'm sorry, it's like that weight lifting off us and it's wonderfully free and then they were baptized in the river jordan and different churches over the years have practiced baptism in different ways and we've just gone with waiting for people that are old enough to make a decision in their own rights as an adult or at least a teenager and then going completely under the water the word means to be submerged and it's a sign of washing, isn't it? It's one of the things it is. It's a sign of washing that I'm cleansed. And it's not just an outward thing. I could recommend nicer baths and some of the baptisms we do. But it's an inner thing, an inner grace, an inner change that we're recognizing in baptism. And it was a real milestone for me. So I didn't know God. I felt too messed up to come to God. Then I began to pray and look to Jesus, and then I was baptized. And everyone's got a different story. For me, uh, I'm an only child, and I became, I think I was, or kind of became more, incredibly shy to the point of being paranoid. I found it really difficult to make friends. Uh, so there's lots of kind of needs and weaknesses there. And then... I gave my life to Jesus, and when I was baptized a few years later, I uh, had this service uh, not that far away from here, actually, and about 30 friends came and turned up for my baptism service. And I was like, wow, that showed that God's worked in my life, and I've changed. I had 
a real struggle to make any friends. And now I'm being baptized. I've given my life to Jesus. And all these people have turned up to watch. And it was a wonderful, wonderful feeling. And it's brilliant that we can be baptized because God is working in our lives. And finally, Jesus himself was baptized. Uh, you can read the next uh, few verses. I won't read them now because our time's going. It talks about him going into the river and being baptized and then the Holy Spirit coming upon him. So why was Jesus baptized? He didn't need to. He didn't need to be. He hadn't sinned. He wasn't disconnected with Father God like we are. I believe he did it for two reasons. One is that he wants to identify with us. God isn't aloof. God isn't miles away. God isn't unconcerned about what happens in this world. God shows in the person of Jesus that he wants to identify with us. He was born in poverty. He was a refugee. He experienced the death of his earthly father figure, Joseph. He suffered homelessness, tiredness, and hunger. And he didn't stay aloof in, in heaven. He came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And we've got that kind of God who embraces us and identifies with us. He wants to be involved in our lives. And it's a wonderful thing. That's the heart of God. And he identifies with us. He comes where we are. And he wants us to identify with him. And in baptism, if you go through baptism... You're identifying with Jesus, saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want to go his way. And if you think about Jesus, he played his part in his earthly family as he was growing up. So he can help us in family life. He developed good friendships. He had the 12 disciples you've heard of and other friends as well. He can help us in our friendships, and we need that. Jesus had numerous enemies. I don't know if you've got a lot of enemies or people against you at work. He knew how to deal with them. He didn't just submit to them in a wrong kind of way. He spoke the truth to them. But he even loved them and forgave them. And Jesus can help us deal with our enemies. Jesus had a normal job probably as a carpenter most of his life. He can help us at work. It's a wonderful thing that Jesus wants to identify with us and be involved in our lives. And he wants us to identify with him and come to know him. And it's really, really good. And I really encourage that. And then the final bit of uh, good news there is as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And God doesn't just tell us to live a certain way or live a better way. God gives us his spirit, his Holy Spirit, in our spirits to give us the power to live for him as we should. And that's really, really wonderful. And God spoke from heaven. Father God spoke out over Jesus and said this, You are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Or In you I am well pleased. And it's fantastic that God's not against us. God doesn't hate us. God's not judging us, God's not writing us off. But God loves us, and if we identify with Jesus, we can hear that voice of love. Uh, when I was baptized in November 1983, my parents came along, they never went to church, but they came to that. And my dad, who died a few years ago, 
Uh, was a man of few words. He didn't really express his feelings very much. He was always there. He was loving. He didn't really say much. Uh, but at my baptism, uh, my parents came along. And they'd been to the Christian bookshop, which was very thoughtful of them. And so they wanted to buy a Bible. They thought, if I go to church, I must need a Bible. Uh, and the person in the bookshop said, uh, he's probably got a Bible, if he's a Christian, but why don't you buy him one of these? And it was concordance, and concordance is all the different words in the Bible and how and where they occur and how often they occur. So they bought that for me. Uh, and my dad wrote a letter to go with it, saying that uh, he loved me and he was proud of me and wanted to support me in what I was doing. He didn't understand it himself, but he wanted to support me. And I've kept that letter all that time since... Uh, Way back in 1980, I've still got that letter. I stuck it into the front of the concordance. And why he didn't say very much uh, normally day to day, he wrote his feelings down. It was great to hear my father's voice. And he died four years ago. And uh, he died at the age of 95, uh, which was a fantastically long life. Amazing. He was diagnosed with cancer at 49, but he still lived to 95. So that was even more amazing. But he had open heart surgery in his late 70s, and uh, there was kind of 10% chance you'd die in surgery. And so he wrote these letters uh, and said, don't open them uh, unless I, I die in the surgery. So there's one to my mum, one to me. Uh, and he came through. He was absolutely fine, made a fantastic recovery when he was about 77. Then he died when he was 95. When we went through his things we found these unopened letters. So he kind of claimed them back and tucked them away. And we opened them. They'd been written 18 years before. Uh, and there was a letter to my mum saying how he loved her and whatever, and a letter to me, how he loved me. And it was so wonderful and so touching to hear my father's voice through those words in those letters. And the good news ends with Jesus having identified with us, wanting us to identify with him. And Father in heaven saying, you are my dearly loved child. And that's a wonderful thing to do. The message of Jesus is good news. It's that he loves us, that we're dearly loved. And we can get hold of that. And we can run with it through the milestones of life and faith. And one of those key milestones is the step of being baptized in water just going to say a brief prayer then I'll hand back to Jenny Lord Jesus thank you that you love us thank you that you've blazed a trail for us thank you that you show us what God's like thank you that you're fearless and full of truth and Lord I pray that I thank you for the way you've helped me go from a place where I knew nothing of you to where I discovered your reality and I began to follow you and I pray for all my uh, friends here today that they will know your love for them and that in the right time, in the right way, if they're ready, I pray that they'll follow you and really know your blessing in their lives. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.